0: Hey guys, this is Pastor Zach, and you are listening to Sermon Notes here at HPC. We're going to be in the book of Acts, and there's been a little buzz around the church since last week, um, just about uh, the... There's been a buzz around the church for the last 12 and a half years, if we're being honest. Um, But there has been a little buzz um, since second service of last week, and... um, I whatever you've heard, whatever you went back and tried to watch and listen on YouTube, whatever. Just I love how curious Christians are. That's just the nicest way I can put it. Um, nosy is another word. But um, I uh, I am encouraged when when Satan is exposed. I am encouraged by it because man cannot expose Satan. It has to be a move of the spirit of God. It has to be. Thank you. Whoever brought this up here with Jamal or somebody. Thank you, John. I don't know who brings these up anymore. Um, Thank you. Uh, I'm I'm encouraged by it. And are there things about it that we don't understand? Are there things about it that are a little offsetting to us when when, uh, uh, an unclean spirit or there's a demonic manifestation? Um, Yes, it's a little like unnerving because... We think that's the stuff that, you know, movies are made out of and that sort of thing. Um, and we want a, a neat and clean environment, don't we? We love sterile things. We love, we love to just get it to the point where, you know, there's no mess. There's nothing unexpected. There's nothing unpredicted. But I'm going to tell you right now, you, you can start planning on what happens when the Spirit of God moves. You can begin to anticipate. Just come in ready for the Lord to expose stuff. And, um, and listen, it's the best thing that the people of God can walk in, is that power and that move. So um, when that stuff happens, whether it's at the altar, whether it's in the back of a room, whether it's somewhere else in the building, just know this, number one, as the sons and daughters of God, we have absolutely nothing to fear. And people ask this all the time, and I'm just gonna answer it um, corporately. You know, People love this question. This is everybody's favorite question. But Christians can't be demon-possessed, right? See how I made it a statement and then just ended with a question? That's how we all say it, because we don't like the idea of, of any of that, right? What I'm going to say to you this morning, I want you to pay really close attention to me for just this second, and then you can tune out for the rest of the message. People who are inhabited by the Holy Spirit cannot be possessed by a demon. People who are possessed by the spirit of God cannot be possessed by an unclean spirit. People who prayed a sinners prayer when they were 12 years old and then have lived every day of their life like hell ever since then, opening themselves up to everything under the sun. See, that's the thing. As believers, we, we, we have accepted this gray area that does not exist when heaven and hell are on the line. This gray area is this idea that as Christians, we can, we can um, experiment with the things of this world, that we can open ourselves up, that we can play with Ouija boards and go to psychics and have our palms read and, and, and go to uh, seek energy and power in crystals and mysticism and all this other stuff that we can, that we can um, go. You ready? Anybody ready to walk out on Father's Day? <laughs> that we can do things like yoga and open ourselves up spiritually to a whole laundry list of anything that hell wants to bring into our lives. Zach, it's just stretches. i want to bring up some people to share some testimonies that will tell you what those stretches did for them. And if we didn't know those people and if we hadn't walked with them and if we hadn't heard powerful testimonies of people who have been delivered from spiritual things that came into their lives through stuff like that, I wouldn't just be up here stepping on toes for fun you hear what i'm saying it's because i love you it's because i love this church and i have to stand before god one day and answer for what i would and wouldn't say from the pulpit okay so i think we've got to be really careful and we've got to understand that when we're opening ourselves up to anything other than the holy spirit we are giving access to things in our lives so walk with with discernment right Maybe that's a lost art. Maybe that's what we need to get back to. Walk with discernment and let the Holy Spirit really quicken you. And old time Pentecostals had this word called unction. Anybody old enough to remember that word? Unction. And, and, And the unction was the sense that the Holy Spirit gives us when our own senses, our common sense, wouldn't cut it. We need the unction of the Lord again, saints. We need to walk with that understanding that the enemy is very real and very present. We're not afraid of it. We are more than conquerors. We are overcomers in Jesus' name. Okay? Turn with me to the book of Acts, chapter 16, if you're still in the room after that. Acts chapter 16, and believe it or not, this message was not a, uh, in response to last week, okay? Um, in fact, it's the, the, a demon being cast out of a girl is almost like a, like a footnote to right. what I felt like the Lord had for us for a word this morning. Acts chapter 16, verse 16, I'm going to begin reading to you here in verse 16, it says, once This is the New Living Translation, by the way, Alex. So it's Father's Day, and my father-in-law likes this. (laughs) Once when we were going to a place of prayer, we were met by a female slave who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. Interesting. She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. Verse 17 says she followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting. Now pay attention to what this young woman was shouting. These men are servants of the most high God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed. Everybody say annoyed. Annoyed. That he turned around and said to the spirit, in the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the spirit left her. All right. It's a great story in the middle of a lot of other great stories. And so we're going to talk about some context, okay? Leading up to this story, leading up to this moment, um, Paul is doing what Paul does best. He's on a missionary journey, right? And right at the end of the previous chapter, he had just had a falling out with a man named Barnabas, who he had been traveling with. And they, uh, they were, good to have the Pridams back in the house this morning. Good to see y'all. Love you guys, David, Emberly. Beautiful babies. Um, they they were traveling, and as they were traveling, Paul decides um, that they're going to go somewhere. And Barnabas says, "Well, let's take John Mark with us." And Paul says this. He says, no, John Mark failed us last time. Dude couldn't handle the heat in the kitchen and he had to leave. And so he says, we're not taking John Mark. And Barnabas says, we are taking John Mark. And Paul says, we're not taking John Mark. And finally, at the end of 15, we see that their disagreement was so sharp, some of your Bibles will translate, so sharp that they actually went their separate ways. Now, people love this story because it gives us sort of like biblical justice, um, to sort of like part ways with people we 're like i 'm paul you 're Barnabas, you know, and let 's just move on and uh, but what happens is that Paul loses a very key element of his ministry at that point. Barnabas, if you know Barnabas, Barnabas was a very pastoral. He, he had compassion um, type giftings. Paul did not have compassion giftings. He was not a pastor. He was not a shepherd. He was an apostle and he was kind of a hard butt, if, if we're being honest, on Father's Day. okay. So Paul um, moves on with a man named Silas. Silas was known for his prophetic giftings. Okay? Now, if you do research and biographies of these guys, you find out, like, okay, they kind of excelled in this and that. And there are other um, historical records and documents that, that talk about these, these guys and their ministries. But um, even biblically, we see Silas was known for his uh, sort of prophetic operation. So you have Paul, who was apostolic and, and a teacher, very much a teacher, very much apostolic, and Silas, who was prophetic. And they're moving along, and we move into chapter 16. Now, the first handful of verses is the story about how they find Timothy. Now, Timothy uh, had sort of like a uh, biracial parents, okay? So he had um, one was a Greek and one was a Jew. His father was a Greek. His mother was a Jew. And what what that prepared him for, being sort of like this hybridization of these two cultures, was when he came to understand the gospel, he became an incredible evangelist who also had pastoral gifts. And we see that when Paul leaves Timothy in charge of the church of Ephesus. And he says, Timothy, you're going you're gonna to lead this church. You're going to shepherd this group of people. And he says things like, uh, you know, don't let them despise you because of your youth, but instead be an example. Be an example through things that, by the way, Paul wasn't always the best example in himself. That's why he's leaving Timothy and he's going, okay? Listen, you gotta know yourself, okay? Gotta be aware. So he picks up a pastor. He picks up a pastor and an evangelist. Paul and Silas are joined by Timothy in these first few chapters. Now, I mean, the first few verses. The second handful of verses from six to 10, something else important happens. Now that their giftings have been rounded out, Okay. Now that there are pastoral, evangelist, prophetic, teaching, and apostolic giftings all present in this little group of guys, the next thing that happens is they get a prophetic dream. Paul gets a dream that uh, from a, a man from Macedonia saying, "Come, we're desperate for you. Please come this way." And so Paul takes that as a prophetic instruction from the Lord. Okay. So the first few verses of chapter sixteen, there is a pastoral infrastructure that is added to the ministry, pastoral infrastructure. How many of you are just thankful for pastors? Anybody? I'm so grateful for pastors in our church. And when I think of pastors, I think of Will St. I don't know where, he's out here on the front row. I think of Will because Will chafes me a lot because of it, he's he's one of those guys when you want to, have you ever been in one of those situations where you just want to kind of like fuss about somebody? And you're just looking for, like, you know, somebody that you can fuss to, like a safe place. Like, I just need to, like, pour some stuff out. You know what I'm saying? And, um, and so I'm, I'm, and I know better than to go to Will with that stuff, you know? So I go to somebody like John, who I can talk to. And so I'll be like, be like, John. And what happens? We're sitting in a room, private, nobody's around, and a shadow passes by the door. And I'm like, that's weird, because there's nothing on the other side of that door over there. What's, Who was that? I'm like, you know what? Forget it. There it goes back the other way. And it, and it, it goes with this sound. Finally, Will sticks his head around the corner. He's like, hey, in fact, you just did this the other way. <laughs> Will comes in because... The pastoral thing in him is drawn to every time I'm fussing about something. And and it's like he smells it from across the building, which is a big building. And he comes and he sits down, just welcomes himself into our conversation. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to keep fussing. Like, I'm the boss. I can do that. And so I keep fussing. And Will looks at me with this face. And he's telepathically saying to me, I know you feel that way, but don't you think that they were just having a bad day? Because you really know that person's heart, right? And I look at him and telepathically say, (laughs) and he looks at me and telepathically says, Pastor Zach, you know better than this. You know, you're going to regret this. Put it out now. Just stop and i telepathically say back to him shouldn't you be holding someone accountable somewhere and he telepathically says to me i'm doing it right now i love pastoral infrastructure because it it Guys, we need pastors, and as, and as tough as many of us have had experience-wise with pastors, as often as we've seen that mantle and that gifting abused, and as 100 miles an hour as we can go in a church like this, and everything's going everywhere, we need that pastoral presence in our lives, and the pastoral infrastructure holds up that which requires accountability in us. That's why greenhouses. That's why Pastor Wally. That's why Pastor Will. That's why Heather is, is making sure that all of these things are held together because that infrastructure is what it, God builds the kingdom off of. And so don't, don't diminish that. Don't despise that. Don't run from that. Embrace it. Pastoral infrastructure is then met with a second, the next couple of verses with prophetic instruction. And prophetic instruction is the direction of where you're going next. And following that dream and that prophetic instruction, we see the Lydia's conversion. And it's the next um, five verses or so, four or five verses. And in those verses, it says that Paul and his merry group of men are, are moving into a place called Lystra, and they head down, uh, I'm sorry, they're in Philippi now. And they they head down to the river, and it says that they're Looking for the place of prayer, okay? It says they're looking for the place of prayer right here in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. That's very important, the place of prayer. And we sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman from the city of Thyatira named Lydia, a dealer. Everybody say dealer in purple cloth. She was a worshiper of God, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house, and she persuaded me. Lydia was a woman of influence, and when they come and sit down looking for a place of prayer, what they're encountered with is someone who is ripe for conversion, who is ripe to be um, proselytized, who is ripe to be evangelized and to hear the gospel and to really embrace the truth of Jesus Christ. It says she was a believer in God, but she needed to hear about the way. And so when pastoral infrastructure is embedded through the presence of Timothy and prophetic instruction is then imparted through the dream. The next thing is productive influence. And God will bring people into your path. Sometimes they're not already a general in the faith. Amen? Sometimes they're kind of wet behind the ears. But they are the gift of influence, productive influence in our lives and in our ministries. And that's why no one is unimportant. That's why no one is is to be neglected or brushed off or whatever. I love... um, the Chosen, because everybody coming to me, I actually haven't watched The Chosen. If i true, Confessions, I haven't watched it. Um, I'm only watching, like, really, really godly things on TV. <laughs> Just kidding. It's a joke. But um, I love how in The Chosen, and everybody that talks about it says, it's so cool because you see the disciples, and you see how, like, really random they are. Right. like Like, some of them, like, with, like, real struggles and, you know, disorders and like, you know, there are people with like issues, like people today, you know, anxiety and fear and, you know, uh, obsessive compulsive things and all sorts of stuff. And it's like, that's how these people really were. Because the Lord sees in those people, the power of the presence of the giftings that the father embedded in them. And when we invite them to walk alongside with us, we receive the productive influence that we need. We live in a world that, that worships influence, right? They say American children now, there's like this statistic rising when you ask American kids what they want to be. If you ask kids around the other parts of the world, people are like, I want to be an astronaut. I want to be, you know, a, a military leader. I want to be a whatever. And in America, one of the top things now is I want to be a social media influencer. Isn't that interesting? We love the idea of influence, but the idea of influence was never meant to be a talking head in a selfie, you know, explaining what kind of makeup they're using. An influencer is real productive kingdom influence is created when God brings pieces together, when God brings people together. And as Dave Andrade preached a message 107 years ago, he talked about how that verse in Ephesians, it says the power of the fullness of the stature of Christ is really present, not by what each part supplies, but the ligaments that hold the parts together, the tendons. If you read it, we are not just this bucket of discombobulated parts, we have been supernaturally knit together, and the power we possess is in how the pieces come together. And if you follow this story, the pieces are coming together. Timothy, Silas, the, the, the dream, the Macedonian man who shows up supernaturally, prophetically in this dream. And then finally, Lydia. Lydia an influencer in her own right in the area of commerce and business. And when she's joined, it, it creates um, a, a physical shelter. It creates a house and a hub from which this group of men, this ministry can operate. It's incredible. I get excited about this stuff because I see it happening in our, in our, in our church today. All right, so we got to go quick here because I want to get you guys out. By the way, it's um, dad's drink free at the uh, coffee bar today. So if you didn't hear that, if you missed the announcement, it's, um, yeah, it's dad's night at the, at the coffee bar. So all of these things happen in verse 16. Once we were going to the place of prayer. Verse 16, we were headed to the place of prayer, the place of prayer. When along comes this demon-possessed slave girl who is shouting These are servants of the Most High God, and they're going to tell you how to get saved. Promotion will always compete with the place of prayer. If you're writing things down, if you can take anything home, promotion will always compete with the place of prayer. I remember in our first six months as a church, we didn't have a name. And for our first, like, five years or something, we didn't have a sign on the building. And then we finally put a sign up, and then we moved here and didn't have a sign again for another however many. And now we have a sign for the school and a sign for the river, and we still don't have a sign. <laughs> and then somehow, I don't know if Dave LeBeau's in the room this morning, somehow the... Uh, the uh, Brady Sullivan wanted us to have a sign on the little stanchions around the parking lot, and so they made a sign for us that is like really gross looking. It's like, it's like flesh colored. It's so weird. Every time we drive past, I want to say it puts the lotion in the basket. You know what I'm saying? Any Hannibal fans out there? No? Okay. Like I said, only really godly things on TV, and so... And so I'm, Dave and I, Dave, Dave's like, as soon as we drive in, it's like, you know, he gets here really early. He's like four o'clock in the morning and he's sending Ashley and I a text. He's like, I didn't design this sign. I don't know where this came from. Please don't fire me. Like, I've never seen this before. This isn't what I sent them. And then we come in and we're like, oh, we have a sign. <laughs> promotion will always compete with the place of prayer. Oh, we love promotion. I can't tell you how many pastors and ministry leaders and people that want to come along and mentor young churches and that sort of thing say, well, you have to have a sign. You have to have a name. You have to have a sign. You haven't sent out any flyers yet. You haven't hung, done any door hangers yet. You haven't, whatever. It's just interesting that they were on their way to the place of prayer. When along comes this demonic entity promoting them. Saints, God is sovereignly careful with whom he promotes. But even those whom God promotes become easy targets for what I will call this morning a promoting spirit. We love our own press. Right, believers? We feel like we're constantly trying to overcompensate for how much the world shoves us down. So we feel like we have to overexert and countermeasure in an effort to promote, promote the Lord. But what ends up happening is in this fight that, by the way, we were never called to fight. You can't find it anywhere in scripture. Okay. We get distracted from the place of prayer. Just a quick anatomy of this spirit. It says this was a spirit by which she predicted the future. And there's a connection here between prediction, promotion, and prayer. See, when we stay desperate, when we stay desperate for the Lord, desperate like how we'll spend an hour in worship, you know, like singing, like people dying in a desert if we don't have the Lord. Because that's who we are. People dying if we don't have the Lord. When we stay desperate, prayer is a natural Uh, destination for us. We arrive at prayer constantly, constantly. It's we find ourselves going to prayer because we know who the Lord is and what he's capable of, and we know who we are and what we're capable of. And so desperation drives us to a place of prayer. Godly promotion makes us more desperate. If you're somebody in this room and the Lord has taken you from a place and moved you into another place of, of greater influence, of leadership, of operating in more giftings, of whatever, that promotion, when it's from the Lord, it, it drives you into a greater desperation, which drives you into a greater prayer. I remember when the church was first starting, like, like Tuesday nights, a lot of us, we were just like weeping. We were just like crying for two hours straight plus. Um, because of how desperate we were. Like, God, we, we're so broken. We're so mad. Like, we don't even know what's next. We, we, don't, we don't even want to know what's next. All we want to know is you. We want to know you. We want to know you more. We have to know you more. We're desperate to see what it is that you want from us. What do you want from us? And, and so on and so forth. And the, these desperate prayers drove us deeper and deeper into the Lord. Godly promotion makes us more desperate. Satan's promotion makes us more independent. And the more independent we are, the more we're drawn to exchange prayer for prediction. I'll say it again. The more independent we are, the more we are drawn to exchange prayer for prediction. It's interesting that that is what this slave girl was known for. This is how her masters were going to use her to get rich, by telling fortunes. Promotion diminishes that desperation in us. And it, it brings us to this sort of man-made construct of independence where we think that we're smart enough or we've gathered enough or we've lived long enough or we've seen enough to begin to predict. There is no spiritual gift of prediction, <laughs> at least not from the Holy Spirit. And saints, I think it's important that we understand when we, that, that it'll be sneaky, right? It, it's not like we just wake up one morning and, you know, there's like banners hanging and you've graduated from needing to prayer into, now you, into needing prayer to now you can predict the future. We, it happens like the heat gets turned up slowly. And we get to a place where we think prayer is a lot less important now, because I actually already know what's going to happen. I can read the room. I can read the room. Ashley and I were at a birthday party last night, and we were talking with a lawyer who um, is a friend of a friend, a roommate of an old friend of ours, Tim Noiner. and um, years ago, I got called into jury duty, and I um, in downtown, and I made it God knows how, I made it past like all the processes to get to like the end. And I'm thinking, I'm looking at myself, I'm like I'm like the last person somebody wants in a jury. And uh, so we make it all the way to the end, and now we're like before the judge, and they're presenting all this stuff, and it's the last round of where you can remove people for the jury. And um, there's this guy up there, I don't recognize him at all. And the story came up, because Ashley just got called into jury duty, so let's just have a time of prayer over her. But um, my kids asked if I had ever been, and I said, actually, I almost was in a jury, But this attorney who is a prosecutor, he says, he says, "Um, I know that guy. And like, he's whispering back and forth to the judge and pointing at me. And I'm like, that's not a good look for me. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Like, I don't want anybody whispering to a judge about me. Okay, there's enough judgment in the house as it is. And so I'm like, "Uh, what's going on? Because I feel really vulnerable right now. And um, in front of all my new friends that I've made, like in the little jury, little (laughs) headquarters thing with snacks and magazines, and so I, uh, so come to find out, he's like, Zach. And I'm like, yes, like, you just called me by name. He's like, yes, I know you, Tim Neuner. I'm like, oh, shoot, turns out we do know each other. So I had to leave. But the point is, we meet up with him last night, and he starts telling this, uh, telling us about how, as, um, as lawyers, you can ask the jury, you can ask jurors a couple of questions. And um, he's saying how, um, there are lawyers and attorneys who have this pride that they can ask two questions or three questions of jurors and immediately know which way they're going to vote. And he said, honestly, he said, I think it's hubris. He said, how, how cocky do you have to be to think that, that with two or three questions, you can understand someone's 20, 30, 40, 60 years of life and how they will arrive at a place? He's like, we don't predict like that. And I believe that as, as men, as women, we, we've learned, be it survival mode or survival tactics and instincts, we've learned how to convince ourselves that we can predict. That's right. That's right. And whatever that is, now I'm not saying there aren't patterns and cycles. I'm not saying if you don't watch the stock market or if you don't watch, you know, society and culture, you know, history does repeat itself, but that's not really predicting, That's just understanding the past, not the future. When we start to think that we're going to predict what's going to happen or we're going to plan based on those predictions, we are missing that desperation that is required, that desperation that drives us to prayer. So let's keep going here. I'm going to get you out of here in five minutes. So she was telling people that these men knew how they could be saved. And I think that this is, to me, this is one of the most interesting parts of the whole story. She is not, you know, running around like, you know, head spinning like a top, throwing up pea soup. You know, she's not Linda blaring it in front of everybody. She, she only godly things on TV. No, she's not doing that. She's promoting them. And she's actually speaking truth. Seems like free advertising, if you ask me. It seems like, hey, we didn't have to put a sign up. Everywhere we know, everywhere we go, she, she's doing the work for us. Free advertising that actually ended up costing them the most important thing. They were distracted. They were frustrated. They had lost their peace. If you read the 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 etymology behind the word that is translated annoyed, it's really interesting. It's it's a little bit more aggressive than how we would think of like, oh, you're being annoying. Like, knock it off. No, it's like they were in turmoil over it, over their free advertising. Satan, saints, Satan is a preacher's best publicist. The enemy would rather you be leading people to the Lord than being led yourself into a place of prayer. Nobody wants to hear that, right? Especially not the evangelists in the room. I'm going to say it again. Read the story. It's in the narrative. It's in the text. Satan would rather you be leading people to the Lord than yourself being led to a place of prayer. How can that be? Because damage control for hell is really easy. Damage control is really easy if anointed leaders can be distracted from their relationship with God. All you got to do is say, yeah, let's go ahead and let this like celebrity pastor, you know, let him go ahead and be that influencer. In fact, it's great. Let's promote him let's get him to the highest place possible so that as many people as possible are impacted by him so that the same number of people will be affected when we rob him of that intimacy with god damage control for hell i i have a love hate relationship with playing the devil's advocate but i feel like sometimes it's important for us and you've heard me say it a million times that paul tells us in the book of corinthians We've got to be wise to the schemes of the enemy. And if you can, just for a second, if you were Satan, damage control for hell. Because we love talking about doing damage to hell, right? Yeah, we're going to take it back. Blah. We're going to take the month of June back. Blah. Have you seen my podcast? <laughs> Hashtag take it back. (laughs) The problem is all the damage that we do to hell if it's at the cost of us being distracted from the place of prayer. The enemy's laughing, he's laughing at it. The place of prayer. See, Paul was annoyed. And finally, it says, after many days. Isn't that interesting? Many days. His whole team is there. They have this fruitful ministry. They've got productive influence. Everything's happening, but he gets annoyed. And for just this closing couple minutes, I want to just remind you of the difference between annoyance and assignment. Oftentimes, we write off as an annoyance what hell has written up as an assignment. That's why we need that unction. That's why we need that discernment. Because there are things, there are gnats flying around our head. There are things that have been assigned to us. We love to talk about our angels, right? Our angels, like we love that, I've got guardian angels. Just little naked babies flying around. Shooting arrows. We love, we love the idea of that, but there are other angels assigned to us too. And the problem is, when we write those things off as an annoyance, oftentimes we'll go many days before really addressing that thing. And in the meantime, we end up robbing our ministry of the power that is in, in, invested in us In that place of prayer in that intimacy with God if we're not constantly aware of of what's taking place in that place you know um I love my one of my favorite things about Tuesday night prayer meetings here is how many people come from outside this church and I love it and you know a lot of times I'm I'm like how long have you been going here or whatever if I make it off the platform and I'm out talking to somebody they're like oh I don't go here Uh, I'm like, oh, no kidding. It's like, yeah, we come up with a group from such and such a church. And I'm like, that's incredible. People drive over an hour from different directions and places to come here to pray, to find a place of prayer, to find a place that has been protected. Now, Zach, can I just pray in my closet? Or, you know, what about that whole war room thing? Can I just go kneel somewhere behind a curtain and get the job done? There's power in corporate prayer, too. And this place of prayer that Paul's talking about, he was going there with like-minded believers. He was gathering in those places with the men and women who were assigned to this ministry alongside him, and they were praying together, and they were receiving together from the Lord. That sounds dangerous to hell. So if we can promote you enough to get you distracted, if we can, if we can just ramrod you with enough need with enough uh, of lost people with enough social justice issues with enough uh you name it fill in the blank with enough whatever can we just fill every blank we've had some people who are frustrated about us canceling everything this year um you know because it's like well you can't cancel this because this is my favorite one and if i tried that and couldn't get away with it then nobody else can I'm like, we can't cancel the fall flannel fest. That's the best one. The Holy Spirit moves at the fall flannel fest. And everybody's like, nope, we're canning it all. I'm like, all right. Prayer's more important than anything else that we do. Than anything else we do. Don't write off as an annoyance what the enemy has written up as an assignment. I think sometimes we look around at the world that we're in and we just get annoyed by it instead of taking authority over it. We roll our eyes at the next news cycle. We, we uh, you know, we avert our eyes when we're driving and we see another church with another rainbow flag or when we see another uh, protest or parade or whatever. If if you've driven through providence in the last couple of weeks, okay? If we're really honest with ourselves, like we're annoyed, we're bothered, we're frustrated, but I believe what the Lord wants for us is turmoil. That what he wants for us is to be so, uh, so upended over this, that we begin to take authority over it. Stop writing it off as an annoyance. Stop rolling your eyes and start taking back ground. Would you stand with me? If you're familiar with this story, the, um, the casting out of this demon did not go like really, really well for these guys, even though they immediately solved one problem. They also created another one because now the owners of this slave girl, they're ticked because now she can't read fortunes anymore, she can't tell fortunes anymore. And so they drag Paul and Silas into um, the marketplace, and they start like, you know throwing all these accusations and whatever. None of them are. None of the accusations are they cast an unclean spirit out of our slave girl. That wasn't it. They're saying things like, you know, they're forcing us to do things that aren't consistent with Roman values, which Roman values by itself is like an oxymoron. And so, and so uh, it's like saying American ethics. And so I think that when we, uh, sorry, um, happy Father's Day. And, and so what ends up happening is Paul and Silas are thrown in prison. Real quick, take note of who wasn't thrown in prison. The nice guy, Timothy, somehow made it out. Scott clean on it, but uh, Paul and Silas, the apostle and the prophet, are thrown in prison. Sorry, John. (laughs) That's why John knows where all the bodies are buried. So, end of day. They go to prison, and everybody knows the story that they're, that they're praising and, and that uh, there's an earthquake, and the angel of the Lord comes, and the, the, the prison warden gets saved, and they come out, and it's just like this crazy awesome miracle. If you don't know the rest of the story, read it. But I want to just read to you this one line. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying. They found the place of prayer and they turned their prison into the place of prayer. And saints in this room this morning, no matter where you're at in this journey, if you feel like you've been obedient and you've come full circle and you are back in prison, you're like, didn't God set me free from this? What am I doing back in this thing? No matter where you are, make it the place of prayer. And watch the glory of God fall. Lydia wasn't the only one getting saved. This prison guard, his entire family. God was doing work. And he does it through our place of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the invitation to engage you. We thank you, Lord, that we weren't just called to to live these ho-hum lives but that you want us walking in power and that you promote us lord with the gifts of your spirit that you promote us to places of influence and leadership but lord forgive us god when we have when we have uh, erred a little bit on that slippery slope side of promoting ourselves or worse allowing ourselves to be promoted by the enemy allowing ourselves to get distracted by promotion allowing the the Whatever's being said about us publicly determine what we're doing privately. And so, God, we come back this morning to that place of prayer. We come back wherever we are. If it is down by the riverside, God, um, if if it's in somebody's house, if it's at this altar. Or, God, for some of us this morning who feel like we're back in prison after doing all the right things. Lord, may we be found back in that place of prayer. Lord, a place that not even a prison cell can rob us of. God, if there's, if there's a, a, a numbness or a desensitized thing that has come over us because we're just so submerged in this disgusting culture, God, I pray that you would quicken our hearts with discernment to see the assignment behind the annoyance, that we would stand up in the authority that you have given us, that we would operate in the power you have imparted to us. And Lord, that we would busy ourselves promoting you. For yours is the kingdom and the glory and the power forever and ever and ever. Amen. This is Pastor Zach, and you've been listening to HPC Sermon Notes. Love you guys. God bless you and have the best day of your life.